If you would, I'd ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. In the early chapters of Romans, Paul has been giving us the gospel. He has been telling us how to get right with God. First, he gave us the bad news. And the bad news is that we're all sinners. We all stand guilty before God. None of us is righteous. None of us is good. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. But then he gave us the good news. And that is that we don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to work a little harder. We don't have to do a little more. In fact, we don't have to do anything at all because Jesus did it all. He died for us. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness so that God now declares us righteous. Us, the ones that he called ungodly people, helpless sinners, his enemies, God has declared to be righteous. And the only condition is faith. Apart from works, apart from ritual, apart from law. See, the message of the gospel is that we are saved not by anything that we do, but in spite of anything that we do. The last time we saw the principle of union, just as in Adam, one man doing one deed at one point in time, we all became sinners. So in Christ, one man doing one deed at one point in time, we all became righteous. What did I have to do to get in Adam? Nothing. What do I have to do to get in Christ? Nothing but believe. You see, nothing we do can help or hinder God's grace. That's why Paul said in verse 20 of chapter 5, where sin increased, grace overflowed. You see, salvation is by grace through faith. But that message raises a question. A question that a wise teacher like Paul anticipates, and we see that in chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? Since grace overflows where sin increases, let's really sin so that grace can really overflow. Since salvation is not based on anything I do, then I can get saved and live any way I want to. Since salvation is all based on God's grace, then I can get saved and continue in my life of sin. Have you ever heard that? I hope you have. Because listen, there is no better test of whether what you are sharing with people is really the gospel of Jesus Christ than that it will be misunderstood and misinterpreted to mean if it's salvation all by grace, then I can get saved and live any way that I want to. You see, if my preaching and my presentation of the gospel doesn't expose it to this misunderstanding, then I'm not preaching the gospel. You see, the person whose message is that salvation is by works never gets asked this question. The person whose message is that salvation is by faith plus works never gets asked this question. But the person whose message is that salvation is by faith alone 
will be asked this question. And that was Paul's message. And so he assumes this objection. If I'm saved by grace, then I can just go on and continue in sin. Now, how does Paul answer that objection? Notice verse 2. May it never be. I think the King James says, God forbid. The word God is not in the verse, but it's, it's one of the strongest negatives in the Greek language. It means no way, by no means, absolutely not. And then to support that answer, Paul counters with some logic of his own. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? How can we continue to live in a realm to which we have already died? You see, something very radical happens to the person who encounters the grace of God. And that something is portrayed in four words in verse 2. We died to sin. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean some kind of process that is going on in the present. It doesn't mean that I'm dying more and more to sin every day because Paul uses the aorist tense here, which is very specific in the Greek. It's talking about a past completed action, something that happened at a point in time in the past, one time, and is over with. It's past tense. And he makes that clear as we go on in the passage. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, past tense. Verse 7, for he who has died, past tense. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, past tense. You see, we are not dying to sin. We already died to sin, past tense. So he's not talking about a present process. He's also not talking about the fact that we're dead to the influence or persuasion or passion of sin. See, he's not saying that we are dead to sin so we're no longer sensitive to sin. If you've been saved more than one day, you already know this by experience. And when we get down to verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Paul wouldn't have to say to us, don't let sin reign in your body if we had no sensitivity to sin. So that's not what he's talking about. You say, well, what does it mean when it says we died to sin? Well, let's look back at the context. Back in chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Because Adam was my great, 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 great-grandpa, I was born a sinner. And I was born under the penalty of death. And sin was not just some minor influence in my life, because in chapter 5 and verse 21, he says, sin reigned in death. Sin reigned over me. Sin was my ruler. I was a tax-paying, flag-waving citizen of the kingdom of sin. I was spiritually dead, soon to be physically dead, and then eternally dead. But in Christ, I died to sin. Now we often say 
Jesus died for me. Jesus died in my place. And that's true. But Paul is taking a step further here, and Paul is saying, because I am in Christ, I died the death that I deserved. I died the death that my sin demanded. I died the spiritual death that my sin demanded. I died the eternal death that my sin demanded. And in fact, I even died the physical death that my sin demanded. Oh, I'll probably still go through death. I mean, someday you're going to see my name in the obituaries. But I will not go through death the way death the way unbelievers go through death because the Bible tells me the sting has been taken out of death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 56 says the sting of death is sin and I have already died to sin. And that's why in the New Testament you find the Bible referring to the death of believers as sleep because we have already died to sin. I'm no longer in sin's kingdom. Sin is not my ruler. That's why he says at the end of chapter 5, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. I was in the realm of sin, but now I am in the realm of grace. And instead of experiencing sin and death, I now experience righteousness and life. So to suggest that we could come into the realm of grace and then continue in sin is absurd because Paul says we died to sin. Now, having made that statement in verse 2, Paul amplifies it in verses 3 to 14. And in this section, he tells us to do three things. Now, I'm not one who's big on the secret of the Christian life, or, you know, you see books all the time. Everybody's got the new secret to the Christian life. But this is Paul introducing the area of sanctification. He's talked about justification. Now he's going to talk about sanctification. And he gives a three-point outline here that I take personally to be the key formula for victory in the Christian life. And there are three words I want you to note in this passage. I circled them in mine. The first is no in verses 3 to 10. Notice verse 3. Or do you not know? Verse 6. Knowing this. Verse 9, knowing that. First he talks about what we need to know. Then we come to verse 11, and he uses the word consider. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Your Bible may say reckon or consider. And then the third word is present in verses 12 to 14. We see it in verse 13. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. So he says, I want you to know, I want you to consider, and I want you to present. That's the formula. Those are the three steps. Know who you are, dead to sin and alive to God. Believe who you are, dead to sin and alive to God. And start acting like who you are. Stop giving the members of your body over to sin and start presenting them instead to God. That's Paul's formula. And it begins with what we need to know in verses 3 to 10. Someone has said that Christianity hasn't failed, it's just gone largely untried. And I think there's some truth to that because much of what is called Christianity today is not actually Christianity. 
But I would suggest that maybe it would be more accurate to say Christianity hasn't failed, it's been largely misunderstood. And there are even a lot of Christians who really don't understand who they are in Jesus Christ. And so Paul starts out here with the formula, and the first thing he talks about is what we need to know. And so we're going to spend some time on what you need to know, and I'm going to do some teaching this morning. Some of you say, well, let's jump down to verse 11 and consider. You can't consider till you know. So we've got to get the foundation of what we know, and then we work from that foundation. And once we know who we are in Jesus Christ, then we can start to believe it and start to act like who we are. That's what Paul's telling us here. Now, notice what he wants us to know. Paul wants us to know that we have died to sin, and so he takes us back to the point in time when you came out of Adam and into Christ. He takes us back to our conversion And the point of reference he uses is our baptism. Notice verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now he talks about baptism here. Some suggest he's talking about spirit baptism some water baptism. To me, it makes sense. He's talking here about water baptism. Because Paul's never been to Rome, doesn't know most of these people, but he says to them, don't you know? Now, I know a lot of young Christians who don't know a lot about spirit baptism, but they should know something about water baptism. And Paul is simply saying to them, don't you know what your baptism means? Now, let me add another thing here. Please, Don't misunderstand Paul to be saying you're saved by being baptized. He hasn't spent five chapters saying you're saved by faith alone. Now he turns up and says you're saved by being baptized. That's not what he's saying. If you read the book of Acts, you'll find that everybody in the early church was baptized. They got saved, and what's the very first thing that happened to them? They got baptized. So he's identifying this with their conversion, with the time when they came to know Christ. And he's saying you should know from your baptism that the Christian life begins with a death. You see, our baptism symbolizes our identification with Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, I died. When Jesus was buried, I was buried. And when Jesus rose, I rose. You see, that's the whole message that baptism portrays. And to me, this closes the book on the argument of the method of baptism. The word baptism means to immerse, to dip. And the picture of being dipped is, I am identified with Jesus Christ in that I died with him, I was buried with him when I go under the water, and I rise to walk in newness of life. But see, Paul is not here arguing about the method of baptism. He's saying, you need to understand the identification that it proclaims. Just as in Adam, I was, when I was in Adam, I was in Adam when he sinned, so I was in Christ when he died, was buried, and rose again. And then look at verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now there's two parts to verse 5. It's an if-then argument. If the first thing is true, then the second thing is true. And the first thing Paul tells us is that we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, therefore we shall be 
identified with him in the likeness of his resurrection. And having said those two parts, he then expounds on them in the verses that follow. Because in verses 6 and 7, he shows us that the first part of verse 5 is true. And then in verses 8 to 10, he shows us that the second part is true. We're just going to look at the first part this morning. We're going to look at the the truth that we are united with him in the likeness of his death. Notice verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self, or literally our old man, was crucified with him. Now, who is the old man? Who is your old man? Now, don't tell me that's your dad, or I'll come out there and spank you. Who is your old man? Well, in the context, it seems clear, very clear to me. The old man is the man that I used to be in Adam. The old man is the man I was born into this world as the old man. I was born in Adam, and in Adam I was born in sin under the sentence of death. That's the old man. The old man is my old humanity, the man that was born in sin, the man that was born under condemnation, the man who sinned when Adam sinned and reaped all the consequences of Adam's sin. The old man is the man that I was, a helpless, ungodly enemy of God. That's the old man. And what happened to the old man? He says in verse 6, our old man was crucified with him. Now, crucifixion doesn't simply produce extreme suffering. It produces death. And if you're a Christian here this morning, your old self was crucified with Christ. The old you, the you that was born into this world, the you before Jesus Christ has died. There is no such thing as a Christian. There is no such thing as a true Christian who has not died with Christ. That person you used to be has died. That man I used to be has died. You say, well, then who am I? If the old me has died, then who am I? I'm the new man. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. The old I is dead. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, that's kind of exciting to me. Because that tells me that our new life as Christians is not a made-over, refurbished old life. It is a new life that is actually Christ's very life. My old man has died. When I came to know the Lord, I was out in Denver, Colorado, and and I had a, a girlfriend who was not a believer, and I began to write to her about what had happened to me and share the gospel with her. And she wrote me a letter one time. It was probably her final letter to me. But she wrote the letter, and in the letter she drew a picture of a tombstone. And on the tombstone she wrote, Danny Green and the current date. And out to the side she wrote, The Danny that I knew has died. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, that's great theology. 
Because that's exactly what the Bible tells me. The Danny that I used to be has died. I was crucified with Jesus Christ. And Paul states that for all of us who are believers, and then on the basis of that, he makes two deductions. The first deduction is the second part of verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that, or in order that, our body of sin might be done away with. Now that phrase, done away with, I think in the King James it says destroyed. That's too strong a word. Because this word actually means made powerless or rendered ineffective. It's the same word used of Satan in Hebrews 2.14 where it says that through death Christ might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Christ by his death has rendered powerless the devil. Now the devil has not been destroyed. He is alive and well on planet earth. And he uses that same phrase here. He says rendered powerless. Now what has been rendered powerless? Well, he says, our body of sin. Now listen carefully. What is our body of sin? Well, some people say our body of sin is the same thing as our old man. That doesn't make any sense to me. Because he just said our old man died. That wouldn't make sense to say our old man died, therefore he's been rendered powerless. Because dead people aren't rendered powerless, they're dead. And I read a lot of other interpretations of this that I won't bother to tell you about. I'll simply tell you what I think it means. It says, our body of death. You know what? I take body to mean body. And what does body mean? Body means this physical body. In fact, if you look at how Paul uses it, look at verse 12 of chapter 6. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Mortal body, this physical body. And he says it's this physical body out of which our evil lusts come. Look at verse 13. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. That's our physical body. Look at chapter 7 and verse 22. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. He makes a contrast between the inner man and the members of my body. In fact, he says at the end of verse uh, 23 that the law of sin is where? It is in my members of my body. And then look at verse 24 of chapter 7. Wretched man that I am, Paul says, who will set me free from what? the body of this death. Now, every time we see Paul using the word body here in Romans, he's talking about the physical body. So if you come back to Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, I think he's using it the same way here. He's talking about our physical body. So what does the term body of sin mean? Well, Paul is talking about this old body with its inclinations towards sin. You see, when man sinned, sin obtained complete control over him. Sin dominated man's life, the whole of him, body, mind, spirit. But in particular, what sin did was 
It allowed that man's life would be dominated by the body, by bodily lusts, by bodily desires, by bodily members. They control him, whereas he should be controlling them. That's why in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, right after Paul says, we were dead in sin, he tells us what that means. He says, it means that we formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. What's it mean to be dead in sin? It means that you obey your body, bodily lusts. You let your body control you rather than you controlling your body. You see, man in sin is, as it were, upside down. He is controlled by the material rather than the spiritual. See, what, what does man consist of? You say, well, man consists of body, soul, and spirit, right? Doesn't the Bible say that somewhere? It does. You can say, yeah, it does. In fact, let me show you the verse. Look, look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I want you to notice something. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. You know, it's interesting to me. When we talk about what makes up man, what man consists of, what do we say? Man consists of body, soul, and spirit. When God talks about us, what does he say? He says we consist of spirit, soul, and body. See, we talk about we put body first. We're body, then soul, then spirit. That's the way we like to describe ourselves. Why? Because we're upside down. We put the body first. Body, soul, spirit. God says, no, you are spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit needs to come first, then your soul, and your body should come last. What is true of a Christian? We were upside down. God has now turned us right side up. That's what he's done. You see, he has, because of my union with Christ, because I died with him, because I have been buried with him, because I have risen with him, I am dead to sin. I used to live in that kingdom, but I don't live there anymore. In fact, the Bible tells me that I am already in Christ, seated in the heavenly places. I am. That's where I am. The old man is gone. I am a new man in Christ. That is true about me, but you know what? What is true about me is not yet true about my body. Sin is still in my body. I like to use the illustration of a balloon. You know, when, when my daughter was little, she used to come to me with a balloon. She couldn't blow it up because it, was, it, was, it wouldn't stretch enough. So I took the balloon and I blew it up for her and then I let the air out and I gave it back to her, guess what? She could now blow up the balloon. Because that balloon had been stretched out, it was now susceptible to do it again. That's the way our body is. I have died to sin. My body is still susceptible to sin. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that the material is evil and the immaterial is good. That's Hinduism. 
And that's not Paul's point here. In fact, later in Romans, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, he says that when you present your body to God, it is holy and acceptable. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But what he's saying here is that though I have been redeemed, my body has not yet been redeemed. In fact, turn over in Romans to chapter 8 and verse 23. He says, and not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. What are we groaning for? What are we waiting for? We're waiting for that glorified body that will suit the new man that I already am in Jesus Christ. In fact, you know, that's the only thing that God has left to do for you is to transform your body into a glorified body. Look over at Philippians chapter 3 for a moment. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. Now, what's left to be done? Transform my body. You see, I'm already a citizen of heaven. So listen to me. I am a new man in an old body. I have been redeemed, but my body hasn't. And so, as Paul says, I still live in a body of sin. A body with habits, tendencies, patterns, memories, imaginations, emotions affected by sin. That's why he's going to tell us in verse 13 of chapter 6 to present the members of your body to God because that's where the problem is. That's why when we get to chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God. Why? Because that's where the problem is. Our bodies are still influenced by sin. But what Paul is telling us here is that because our old man was crucified with Christ, this body of sin has been rendered ineffective. That's the first deduction. Then real quickly, he gives us a second deduction, and that's the end of verse 6. He says, Knowing that our old self was crucified with Christ, in order that our body of sin might be rendered ineffective, in order that we should no longer be slaves to sin. In Adam, I was a slave to sin. Now, I probably didn't realize it at the time, In fact, if you're like me, you probably said, I don't want to become a Christian. I might lose my freedom because I'm out here doing my own thing. Well, you're not doing your own thing. You're doing what everybody else is doing because you're all being controlled by sin. You are a slave of sin. That's why in chapter 5 and verse 21, Paul says, sin reigned over you. That was me prior to Christ. I was a slave to sin, but when I died with Christ, I was set free. I died to sin. Sin no longer has jurisdiction over me. 
sin is no longer my master. And to help us understand that, he gives us an illustration in verse 7. And I want you to notice, he switches pronouns here. He's been talking about we and us and our. Now he talks about he. This is an illustration. Verse 7. For he who has died is freed from sin. And he's simply making the point that the only way anyone can get free from sin is to die. A dead person doesn't have any problem with sin anymore because they have been taken out of sin's realm. We don't have a problem with Ted Bundy anymore. Why? He's dead. And Paul says, the same thing happened to you. In Christ, you died. And so you are free from sin. Sin no longer has a hold on you. Sin no longer controls you. You have moved out of sin's domain. So what's he telling us in verses 6 and 7? He says, our old man has been crucified with Christ, which leads us to two deductions, that our body of sin might be rendered ineffective and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That supports the first part of verse 5, that we are united with him in the likeness of his death. And then he goes on in verses 8 to 10 to tell us the second part of verse 5 is also true, that we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. But I'm not going to go into that until next week. And you may listen to this message today and think that's a funny place for me to stop because I've only given you half of what you need to know. And I've only given you the negative part, death. But what I want to do this week is I want you to sort of marinate in this truth. This is the most revolutionizing truth you can understand as a Christian. So this week, I want you to sort of marinate in this. I want you to raise some questions. I'm going to answer some questions I think you probably have about this next week. And then next week, we're going to move on to the positive part. We're also going to move on to the practical part part, what we need to do with this knowledge. Can I become a Christian and just live any way I want to? Paul says, no, because I died to sin so that my bodily lusts now don't have the power of influence over me that they used to have and so that now I am free from the controlling influence of sin. We're going to close the service today. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back and just lead us in a chorus. I want you to reflect on the things that we've learned today. There may be some here today and and you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, I've never experienced grace the way Paul's talking about it here because I've never experienced really identifying with Christ in that way that I have died to sin. If you realize that this morning, then I invite you to come as, as the praise team leads us in this final course. There may be others here today. You have a special need. You're welcome to come and we'll pray with you. There may be some who want to join this fellowship. Whatever God is challenging your heart with today, you come as we sing in closing together. Please stand as we sing.